0: Tonight, may you use her to speak to us, may you soften our hearts to hear the words that you want us to say, Lord. Bless her now to your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Oh, Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you, Connor. Cheers. Um, guys, if you want to take up a Bible, and we're continuing in um, this sort of true series that uh, we're doing right through until uh, Christmas time, where we're considering what it means to be a Christian in this kind of post-Christian, post-truth world that we find ourselves in and various hot topics that emerge from that and how we might equip ourselves better to speak um, for Jesus. So this evening we're going to be looking at creation and identity and we'll be in Genesis chapter 1, which ironically is page 3 on the church Bibles. but anyway. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's turn to that. And what we'll do is um, we'll read various verses so I'll sort of track us through and then move us as we go through the text. So Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning that first day. And then we see that God creates fish, and owls, and leopards, and zebras. Apparently, I'm dressed like a zebra this evening. So there we go. Um, Charles. I'm um, moving down to verse 26 verse 26 (laughs) Then God said, let us make human beings in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them God bless them I give every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sick day. Let's pray. Our oh, Father, we thank you for your word and for your creation, this world that you love. And we thank you that we get to be part of this creation. And as we consider that this evening, would you change us and excite us and give us real practical tools to walk out our lives right now by the power of your Spirit? Amen. 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 So, what's happened in um, in this text? Genesis chapter one is. Big picture, the macro kind of narrative, if you will. And then in Genesis chapter 2, which we'll get to in a little while, we'll see the micro narrative, the detail. And um, there, the writer is plucking out some of the threads that are presented to us in Genesis chapter 1. And so, what we see in Genesis 1 is that God, back. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creates the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth. And note that. It's not just the earth when we're talking about creation, it's all of heaven, all of the heavenlies. So God creates the earth. Yes. And then God, the Lord Almighty, does something incredibly intriguing. And he creates Adam and Eve and He creates us in His likeness. And because we're made in the likeness of God, this God who is free in one, who is always in community, always in relationship, always giving out, always creative. We're made for relationship and for community and to be creative and to be outwardly focused. But God also, In creating the world and creating us. Gives us a commission. And he says, actually this world is yours. And you're called to steward it. And to live well in it. And to look after it. That you will flourish as the world flourishes. Now of course we know from the Christian story that something went wrong. But... We also know that through Jesus, this Jesus that was celebrated tonight in Communion, the Lord is making all things right, and that we as Christians, we as the new Adam and Eve, are called into this Genesis-created reality. So, we're created for God, created by Him, we're created for each other, and we're created for this world that he loves. That's what we'll be, be tracking this evening. And so that begs the question, actually. Right at the beginning. Who am I? Who am I? What does Genesis 1 tell us about who we are? Well, it tells us two things. Verse 27. We're created, some creative beings, but we're image bearers. We bear the image of God. There's huge dignity over us. We're not God, but we're made in his image. And what does it mean to be a creative being, created by God? Well, it's two things. We're created from dust, and our humanity is of incredible importance because God makes us as human beings, and we cannot forget that. We cannot celebrate that enough. So dust. If you flip over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. How does God create Adam? Then the Lord God, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. See, the way that God creates us, created Adam, the first human being, is from the earth, from creation itself. And somehow, That binds us to creation. We are part of this world. And Richard Borkham, who's an amazing New Testament normally and theologian, but he does a load of stuff on ecology and the environment and things. And he says, our bodies are our solidarity with the rest of creation. Our bodies are our solidarity with the rest of creation. Actually, we're made from the dust of this earth that, that we walk around and that we live in. Our bodies, the way the Lord has made us. A part of this world, and we're called to take this world seriously. But we also, we're distinct from the creation, aren't we? And so our humanity is of incredible importance, because again and again in Scripture, God just affirms our humanity. Yes, our flesh has fallen after Genesis chapter 3, but He loves the way that He has made us. As our humanity is affirmed in creation, of the fact that He makes man and woman as human beings in His image. And then our humanity is affirmed in Jesus Christ, God Himself, taking on flesh, being fully, fully human. And when we begin to wrestle with some of the issues of our day, we need to, as Christians, confidently stand on the fact that our humanity matters. And so when we engage with debates around artificial intelligence or beginning of life issues or end of life issues we stand as Christians prophetically knowing that our humanity is good and anything that devalues our humanity is not from God. God looked at us as a crown of creation and it's after we were created that the world became very good. Very good. Each one of us here reflects the living God and our humanity is of eternal importance. There's something really theological um, about our bodies. J.B.K. Smith, who's this great um, theologian from across the pond, just says that actually the point of our bodies is the sanctification of the ordinary. The sanctification of the ordinary. God picks up the dust of the earth and he makes us out of it he takes something ordinary and he makes something extraordinary. So hold on to your humanity in all its fullness. God loves it. So we're creative beings, but what was the image bearers? Image bearers. That second bit of verse 27. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. But what on earth does that actually mean? You know, we often, I often speak about us being image bearers. What, what does that mean? That could be just like a bit of a kind of throwaway theological sentence. And I'm thinking with John Piper here, he just says, images are made to image. Images are made to image. And so we're made in the image of God, and therefore we are made to image him on this earth. As John um, Mark Comer says, we were put on earth to make visible the invisible God, to show the world what God is like. God's creative decision was to make us human beings, to reveal Himself, the Creator, to this world. And now, in this sort of New Testament period that we find ourselves in as a church, to reveal to those around us who don't know Jesus who God is. We're put on this earth, you're put on this earth, to reveal to other people and to the world who God is and what his eternal purposes are. And that means that our lives really, really matter. And so the first question we have to consider this evening is just to take a step back before the Lord and think, how is my imaging? Actually, what am I showing of God in my life? What does my Wednesday afternoon or my Saturday night look like? How am I imaging God? Hello, Angus. You're wonderfully made in the image of God, so you're okay. Um, (laughs) So, we're made in the image of God. And we're made to take ourselves really seriously in that. Actually, we have inherent dignity. I often use that phrase, dignity of inclusion, and that comes from these chapters where you read... So God created human beings in His own image. The Hebrew there is this um, phrase, "Salem Elohim." Salem Elohim. And when Genesis was written, when the Old Testament was written, so the kings of old, the kings of Babylon and Assyria, and all of that, they were referred to as "Salem Elohim," the images of God. But only the rulers, only the emperors and the kings and the queens. Actually, the common people, the everyday people, they couldn't get near that title. And so the writer of Genesis had it. And he corrects it and he says, actually, no, no, all of humanity is covered with dignity. All of humanity is Salem Elohim. Each and every one of us. And so, as Tom Wright says, we're vice regents. Or as John Mark Comer says, God's looking for partners with his hands and his feet. As the New Testament says, Peter writes to us, one Peter, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God put on this earth to call people from darkness to light. You are covered with inherent dignity, called to reflect his purposes on this earth. And so if the first question is, how's my imaging day? Then the second question has got to be, actually what do I believe about myself? Do you believe you have inherent dignity? Do you take yourself seriously? When I um, came back to faith years ago and um, lots of reasons I sort of shifted my lifestyle was that I fell in love with Jesus, I love scripture, Holy Spirit did something extraordinary within me. But I also came to realise that actually I was covered with dignity and I wanted to take myself seriously. And that my behaviour needed to change and come in line with scripture. Because I was a daughter of the king, called by name. And it's time to take ourselves seriously. God takes you seriously. So we need to take ourselves seriously. Our world um, doesn't always give us much self worth. Jesus Christ piles self worth on you. Hold on to that. And then as we find out who we are in Jesus, how are we doing with other people? Because it's all of humanity who are Salem Elohim. There's no ordinary person on the face of this earth. We're all extraordinary, made in the image of God. And I often find that um, when I meet people who are very different to me, I can take that kind of step back and say, okay, you might be really, really different to me, and I'm kind of trying to understand your sort of cultural differences and all of that, but, but I get this, you're an image bearer, and you're full of God. But the person who is hardest to really salem Elohim over. is that one person, and we'll all have that one person, who's just really, really irritating in our lives and who we just want to strangle sometimes. (laughs) And sometimes the spiritual discipline is to look at them and say, okay, God, what are you doing with this person in my life? What are you challenging me to? To look at them and know that they're an image-bearer, that they're equal before God, as you are, as everyone is. C.S. Lewis um, unpacks all of this stuff so well, and he writes this, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations these are mortal. And their life is to ours as of the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, are friends with, snub and exploit. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn, we must play, but our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. Who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. And so just as we are challenged to take ourselves seriously as image bearers, we are challenged to take each other seriously as image bearers. And that challenge is hugely for each and every one of us because we're the church. We're the people right now who know Jesus Christ. We're the people right now who are called in to this reality. And if we don't walk it, the world is not going to be able to. So we image God Reflect on that and what that means. Take ourselves seriously. We take other people seriously. Which moves us on to Genesis chapter 2. The detail. And what am I created for? And then Tim's going to unpack this uh, in sort of fuller fashion next week as he looks at the purpose and work and rest and things. But the second part of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, pulls out the strands of Genesis 1. And it shows us that we are Created for God, created for each other, and created for this world. And that's how we get really, really active. That We're only going to understand what it means to image him if we understand our relationship with him, with each other, and with the world. So Genesis 3, 8, actually. Sorry, moving to chapter 3. Genesis 3, 8. Um, it's here that we glimpse Admittedly, it's around the whole scenario of the fall. But Genesis 3, 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Here we see that in Eden we were face to face with God, that somehow God would walk and talk in the garden without and Eve with humankind. And so we're made for that level of intimacy where well, we walk and we talk with him.
1: And we do that through Jesus.
0: So the simple challenge is just get to know Jesus. So you get to know Jesus, you get to know God, and then you can image him. I love Colossians, Colossians 1.15. The son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Or Jesus, and talking to Philip in the Gospel of John, Jesus just says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. We get to know Jesus get to know Jesus, and then we know who we're imaging. He's a perfect human being, created for God. And then created for each other. Chapter 2, verse 18. Admittedly, this is in the context of Adam and Eve and the marriage, that first marriage, but there's a much, much wider principle where in 2.18, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good." Man or woman to be alone, and why is that? Why do we need each other? Well, the most fundamental thing is that sort of trinity, the fact that we are made in the image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if God is fully, fully relational, always, always one, but always, always never alone, because the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Son. Spirit lost the Father, you know, they're eternally somehow in conversation and walking out the purposes of the heavenlies and the earth together. And if God is relational, then my goodness, we, human beings, made in his image, we need each other. And we need each other in all the fullness that that is. So some of us will get married, some of us might not. And all of us need friends. We need people who are different to us. Romans 16, if you read the end of Romans 16, it's this glorious practical record of the early church. And it's wonderful because it's slave and free, old and young, married and single. Just people who have met Jesus doing it together. And that is church. Church is not a bunch of people who look exactly the same sitting in a room together. Church is the whole company of earth, every tribe, every tongue, and language, as it says in Revelation, coming together under the King. We're made for each other. We're made for community. And community is such a buzzword in our culture. When we're in PCC and any church you goes to the morning service. This is the same community, such a buzzword. So made for God. Made for each other. And then we're made for this world. And the thing about creation is creation is the world. It's not divine. But it does reflect something of God. And it's made to praise God. The psalmist is really clear. the New Testament is really clear. But all of creation cries out to test who God is. But in that, we're also made for it. We're made to steward. And so Genesis 2, 15. What did God do? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That was our first commission, to be on this earth and to work it and take care of it and to know it. Wow, And we know right now that we have a bit of a climate disaster in one way or another. But we as Christians are still called to love this earth and to walk it well. And the challenge for each of us is going to to be different. And I've been trying to wrestle that out in my own life. I'm probably not going to join the Extinction Rebellion, but I think one of my sisters has. all of our politics are different um, in our thoughts and practices but I think that it's most fundamental, it's about the posture that we adopt it's about the posture that we adopt that we move from a posture of consuming to a posture of contending for the world and that's going to be a different challenge for each and every one but for me, what it's meant is sort of thinking, okay I live in England in quite a consumeristic culture how can I just change little bits of my lifestyle to look at the world and to love it? So, I'm going to do practical things uh, like use soap rather than buying a hand wash that um, obviously has like a plastic encasing. When it goes to the supermarket, paying a little bit more for the eco-card stuff rather than the fairy, all those sorts of things. Um, I, I travel quite a bit, I travelled loads um, this year actually. And, I'm sort of stepping back and thinking about okay how can I not get on a plane next year or you know can we use the channel time or something like that? Obviously it's different for, for everybody. But the fundamental is stepping back and going, okay, what is our posture gonna be? What's our posture gonna be? How are we gonna adopt a posture that loves the creation, that loves the world, knows the life that God has called me to, and enjoys it. God is a God of joy and freedom. But what all the little things that I can do, or I do the bigger things, to remind myself that I am made to steward this creation well. Mm. So we're invited to move from a posture of consuming to a posture of contending for the world. We're also invited into the words of God in Genesis chapter 1, where he again, again looks at creation says it's good, it's good. We're called to look at creation and go, this is really good. Um, so right now, I'm just think in your minds. Of somewhere in the world or in England or in London that you've been and you've looked at Croatia and you thought, that is so good. Wherever it's like a tree or a sunset or landscape, just hold that in your mind. Where have you seen Croatia and thought, that was good? Okay, Johnny. Uh, Find uh, a, no, that's a name, no, that's me. The north coast of Northern Ireland. Yeah! Yeah! And it was good, yes? Okay. It was good. Great, come check it, goodness. Chuck it to someone else. Um, Janine. <laughs> okay. Um, I actually didn't think it was fine, but uh, Germany. Mm. Great. It was good. It was very good. Very good, okay. Final person, chuck it over. Oh. Tend to catch like a girl, but anyway, there we go. So we partake in God's good, good earth because He loves it. Enjoy it, guys, but take a posture. That cares for it too. Um, one really practical thing, we care about the stuff at church. So on Tuesday uh, the 29th of October, so that's a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have an eco-talk here. And I think um, Joe Coleman is going to host that, and then Rachel Mander, who ha- used to be with us but has moved to Sheffield and is working in this whole sort of world of environmental care, is going to be coming to speak to us. So do come, 7 for 7.30. Bring your dinner. Indisposable Tupperware. <laughs> <laughs> no, not indisposable Tupperware. In key cups. Key cups, everybody. Um, bad joke, sorry. Okay, um, so talking.
1: And partake the
0: goodness of it all. All right. And so where does that land us in terms of reality? Well, we know that that stuff is broken, don't we? We only have to look out of our window and we look at creation but we also know that God is in it and he's doing something new and something radical. And Paul writes in Romans 8, 22 to 23, We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, as we, eat, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The redemption of our bodies. And what Paul is getting at there is our reality right now. That we know that something has gone wrong. That we, we've grown a little. We've grown in our relationship with God. We've grown sometimes in our relationship with each other. We've grown in our relationship with creation. Creation itself is growing. But something new is happening. That language of first fruits. That each and every one of us as Christians who knows Jesus is filled with the Spirit. We've got the first fruits of the Spirit. And so, what we're called to do is to prophetically stand in the gap and say, No, no, no. something more is coming. There is an eternal reality. And I'm going to bring these new creation realities to earth right now. And so, that means knowing that you're an age bearer, knowing that you're full of dignity. Taking yourself seriously, taking other people seriously, working on our relationship with God, working on our relationship with friends, with people that we haven't even met yet, enjoying creation, saying that it's good, and contending for creation. We stand in the gap. We are the first fruits. We hear the groans and the fact that things aren't right. But we know that we worship a God who one day is going to put all things right. And we walk our lives out in that hope, standing tall, posture of contending, knowing that we're image bearers, and living our lives in holiness through the freedom that comes from him and him alone. Amen. Amen. Amen.